if you have tuned in today, so it's been a while since I've uploaded an end time podcast, uh, let me just give you a bit of a catch up to let you know where we are according to this time frame. If you've, if, if it's later that you've uploaded this, then this little catch up basically is not going to really bother you too much. But what we've been doing in the meantime is I've been preparing a whole lot of material up and into Revelation chapter 13, got all the notes sorted out, so I'll be um, busy publishing that. I've also been working hard on getting these talks turned into vlogs and setting up a Lifehouse TV channel in various places on the net. So this is still in the process of being done. It's been taking quite a long time, so hopefully at the middle of this year, 2018, we'll start to actually load up some vlogs with regards to our various teachings, discipleship teachings, end time teachings. I'm also hoping to redo our spiritual warfare stuff, keep the old one on, but just to just do an update and re redo that one as well. So it has been a little bit of time on other, pro I've been spending a bit of time on other projects. Uh, another project I've been spending a lot of time on is our discipleship training school material. Um, we're going to be heading off to Nepal in the next couple of days and uh, looking to planting a discipleship training school there with one of the local churches. We'll see if it takes or not with regards to the material that we do have. Um, and that's been a major focus. And so that is what has been taking place over the last couple of um, weeks. I've also had a trial run with regards to putting this on a, a vlog utterly failed <laughs> so i'm back to the old podcast uh, and we'll test run some more when i get back from nepal at the end of um, march revelation chapter 8 uh, again my references would be matthew henry uh, constable um, you're going to get a lot of Velikovsky in here, um, all sorts of guys are going to be mixed and mashed into these talks. So if you hear me quoting someone without referencing them, I do apologize because it just gets a bit hazy after a while doing a long series like that. All the usual suspects, Derek Prince, Jacob Prash, etc., etc., are also sort of flowing through what we're going to be doing here. So John receives a revelation of more judgments that are going to be coming onto the earth. So we've gone through the seals. We're arriving at the sixth seal. And now more judgments take place. And so now he starts to prepare his readers for the events that are going to take place. So let's read Revelation chapter 8. NRV. And we're looking at the um, seventh seal. And... Um, what happens here so verse 1 when he opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about half an hour and i saw the angel the seven angels who stand before god and the seven trumpets were given to them another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all god's people on the golden altar in front of the throne the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, 
and hurled it to the earth, hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumbles, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Let me just pause there. What I want you to think about, meditate on, as we go into this, is now we have a view of what's taking place in heaven. Seventh seal gets opened, half an hour silence. Presumably because of the devastation that is going to now unfold, because we're headed into the starting point, from my perspective, of the Great Tribulation, Jacob's Trouble, the Tribulation period, three, the three and a half years. Now, what I want you to notice is the incense that the angel puts into the censer with the prayers of the saints takes place in heaven. This gets filled with fire and that gets hurled to the earth. Now, this heavenly act has a earthly response. Thunder rumblings, lightning, and an earthquake. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we go into the trumpets, because possibly that is a, a, a one-sentence picture of the unveiling of the trumpets. Thunder, rumblings, flashing of lightning, and an earthquake. Verse 6. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Verse 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and Wormwood depicts a bitter substance. Let's read on. Verse 11. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Verse 12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. And now we go into one of these um, parenthesis verses here. And this now gives us a warning of what's going to be taking place. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. So we'll get into that a little bit later in the next couple of podcasts, obviously when I get back from um, our Nepal mission. But that is a significant introduction that verse verse 13 is a significant introduction into the start of the time of Jacob's troubles the great tribulation period so let's just have a look around and 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 have some thought give let me give you some thoughts in terms of introducing chapter 8 
first thing I want to talk about is the angels. In verse 2, it says, And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Now, from a biblical perspective, we, are not, we don't know who these angels are. It's not clear. Some interpreters identify the seven angels based on Jewish traditional writings. And they, and they um, name them. So, these seven angels are known as the angels of the presence. Uh, same as archangels. And, and according to the Jewish traditional writings, Book of Jubilees, Torbet, and First Enoch, the names of these angels are Uriel, Raphael, Regriel, Michael, Sariel, Gabriel, and Ramiel. It's interesting. Uh, Going to make no difference to you whether the, whether that is accurate or not accurate. But from a b biblical perspective, we don't know who they are. But from a traditional Jewish perspective, we might have some names for these angels. But what you've got to know about these angels is they have great authority. They're not just angels. They, they are angels that have great authority. Now let's look at the trumpets before we get into it. Now, the trumpets, these trumpets appear to be different from the trumpet of God that you find in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and other trumpets elsewhere in the New Testament, Hebrews 12, Revelation 1 verse 10 and chapter 4 verse 1. Um, but what you find with these trumpets is these trumpets also announce God's work. The workings of God. Trumpets seem to play a major role in God's dealing with his people. And we can read about that all the way through the book of Exodus especially. Um, Matthew 24 we read about it as well. So there's a whole lot of scriptures that can point to that. That when God deals with mankind and his people, he, he uses trumpets. Now, all these pictures go back, essentially, to the scene at Mount Sinai when the law was given to the people. Alright? So now, remember what I told you about keeping in mind when the golden censer was thrown to the earth. Peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. And trumpets. So now, on Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, verse 16 and verse 19. What, we, what do we have? Now, I'm not going to read the scriptures. You can go and do that yourself. But we have thunders, lightning, thick cloud, and a large trumpet blast. So, this trumpet blast sort of becomes an integral part, an instrument linked into the day of the Lord. So whenever you hear the day of the Lord, there's always somewhere in the passages relating to that, a trumpet blast. Uh, Isaiah 27, 13, In that day the great trumpet will be blown and it will sign back the exiles. Joel 2, verse 1, On the day of the Lord the trumpet will be blown in Zion and the alarm sounded in the holy mountain. Or, uh, of the coming day of the Lord. 
Zephaniah 1, 14 to 16, the day will be a day of trumpet and alarm announcing divine judgment. So all these trumpets are connected with the day of the Lord when he comes back, announcing the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So with regards to the history of Israel, trumpets played an important role in their ceremonial processions, you can see that in Joshua in King 1 Kings 1, 1 Chronicles 15, Joshua 6. They played a large role in calling the Israelites to war, to specific journeys they had to undertake, and special feasts, Numbers 10. And then it brought in and announced the new year, the, 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 in the new year for Israel in Numbers 29 verse 1. So what you see in the visions, both in the Old and the New Testament, the, sum, the, 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 the trumpet always seems to be a symbol of the intervention, the coming intervention of God into history. So God is now going to step into history and it is announced with trumpets. The seals could be Jesus. Now this is my own thoughts on the matter. The seals... When, when, when Jesus opens the seals, in the first three and a half years of the seven years of Daniel, the outstanding seven years of Daniel, the seals could be Jesus allowing the enemy and the enemy's people, unrepented man, a free hand in implementing their own plans for themselves and humanity. But you see now there is a step up because now the trumpet blasts and it's a picture of now God now is stepping into the picture himself. And so that is that is pretty interesting thought that, that, that I have with regards to the build up. So the first three and a half years, the build up, the preparation. So we've got a preparation for the first three and a half years, which is the Gog Magog War, the Psalm 83 War. The taking over of the world system, the crash of the economy, all that death, all that mayhem, all that violence. The Lord just says, okay, you want this? Here it is. And, and, he, and he breaks the seals and allows the enemy and the enemy's people to do whatever they want without any restraint. That sort of is a signaler of the event to come, the start of the Great Tribulation. I'm harping on this now, and you're going to hear me harp on this all the way through. Because the start of the Great Tribulation, there's going to be so many different events taking place in and around the start of this Great Tribulation period. And we'll spend much of the, re the, the, the next few chapters of the book of Revelation studying the events around the beginning. These four trumpets... And the effects of the trumpet blasts, the, the, so the trumpet blast takes place and the effect of the trumpet blast on earth basically is the starter of the great tribulation. So it heralds, now the great tribulation is going to start, God's going to now step into history, God's now, this is now the day of the Lord, the Lord Jesus is now going to return and bang, Antichrist gets presented onto the scene. And that's where you get verse 13. Woe, woe, woe for the next three trumpet blasts that the angels are going to give. Right, that's just a little bit of an introduction. Uh, let's look at some further stuff 
for the introduction and that is just this very very small grid that I've placed for you and obviously like before you can download the grid um, from our uh, from our web page so all the trumpet judgments seem to proceed out of the seventh seal and I think the next series of judgments come in chronological order so looking at the sixth and seventh seal from my perspective, now remember this grid is my personal opinion. From my perspective, we are now going into the abomination of desolation, the, 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 the marking point, the mark of point for the three and a half years. And so the events of the sixth seal and the events of the first four trumpets herald this marking. And the seventh seal, notice there's a half an hour silence in heaven because of the significance I feel of what is about to take place over the next three and a half years. And so looking at the earthly and heavenly phenomenon column going downwards, in Luke 21.11, we've got a picture of what that could be. And then you can read in the bigger grid, you can see all the other verses of scripture that relate to that. And then you've got the sixth seal and the seventh seal. And from the seventh seal, you've got the trumpets now beginning to blast. Luke 21.11, there will be violent earthquakes and in various places famines and deadly and devastating pestilence, plagues, epidemics, and there will be terrible signs and great signs from heaven. That's amplified version. And remember what I said about the that verse of scripture when the golden censer gets thrown to the earth as well. So something significant happens in heaven and then there is a response that takes place on earth now let's just review before we actually go into the trumpets revelation chapter 6 verse 12 to 17 i want you to have a picture of the sixth seal and then we're going to be looking at the trumpets and each event of the trumpet and i'll explain a little bit later about what i want to do when i go into that so revelation chapter 6 verse 12 to 17 amplified version I looked when he, the lamb, broke open the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. I want you to notice that it's just it's in the singular. So for me, this looks like a massive earth shock. So whatever's coming into the system, and we'll, dis we'll, we'll discuss that, and I'll give you my opinion, and I'll give you very... Uh, uh, Anton or Isaac Velikovsky's opinion. Forgive me, I've forgotten his first name. Uh, on, on these events and what they could look like. But there seems to be an earthquake, one earthquake, but an earth shock, something that's going to be felt around the world because of the effects of the trumpet blasts and what they signify. The sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth like a fig tree shedding its late summer fruit figs when sh shaken by a strong wind. Verse 14. The sky was split, separated from the land, and rolled up like a scroll. And every mountain and island were dislodged and moved out of their places. So that's the earthquake, the earth shock. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the military commanders and the wealthy and the strong and everyone, whether slave or free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Uh, that would be their, um, 
bunkers under the earth that they've all got digging around. They're digging around like crazy and putting themselves under the ground. And so when this thing comes, when this thing comes, that's where they're going. And they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the righteous wrath and indignation of the Lamb. Verse 17, for the great day of their wrath and vengeance and retribution has come and who is able to face God and stand before the wrath of the Lamb. My personal opinion at this particular point in time is that the sixth seal and the first four trumpets are the same event and that is the wormwood system coming in to our solar system and interacting with our planet. Okay. The first trumpet. Revelation chapter 8 verse 7. And here we have hail, fire and blood. NRV. Verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. So this first trumpet signals the beginning of God's judgment. So what happens is the earth now begins to travel through the exiting path of the wormwood system. And the first thing that we encounter is all the dust and debris of the tail. And that hits the earth first. And this causes hail, fire and blood. So what happens is meteorite showers of various sizes now begin to smash into the earth. And as the earth rotates into the tail, starts to rotate into the tail, we're going to have a third of the earth, as it goes through, getting smashed. So by, by, the, by the, the effects of the tail, burn gets burned up, uh, it gets uh, the trees, the grass... It, it's going to get smashed. So one third of the earth as we rotate through the tail. We're going to have sonic booms, the thunderings, the crashings, the explosions. In the Old Testament, the word for hail is barad. It's a term for meteorites. So mixed up with hail, you have naphtha or napalm, fire rain. The tail is composed of various different chemicals, carbon, hydrogen, gas, gases. And out in space, there's no oxygen to mix with it and ignite it. When it comes into the Earth's atmosphere, it begins to mix with the atmosphere. And some of it now falls to the Earth as liquid. And some of it ignites and falls to the Earth as fire rain. And... The liquid then begins to sink into the grounds and pool. And as the explosions hit, so do these pools of liquid uh, material, napalm from the comet's tail, ignite as well. And so you're going to have massive damage with regards to um, the violent impact of the meteorites together with their explosions. As they hit, they explode. Um, coming in, burning, starting fires, raining this chemical napalm down, which just 
exacerbates the situation and the landscape begins to turn red, black and grey with regards to the fires burning. A lot of soot will be in the air, a lot of ash will be in the air, dust, smoke. This will become very, very electrically charged, the atmosphere, and so you're going to have a lot of lightning storms as well, That's going to, and that too will aggravate and cause more fire. So it'll just build into this massive, deadly firestorm, hailstorm, fire and brimstone of biblical proportions, and one-third of the earth's trees and grass is going to get taken out as we begin to rotate into the outer edges of the tail of the wormwood system. Now, what I'm going to do is give you some material from, it's, it's Dr. Emmanuel Velikovsky from his book, Worlds in Collision, and that's copyrighted from 1950. I've always found it a fascinating book. So, Dr. Velikovsky's theory was that the events of the planet Exodus, uh, uh, planet Exodus, <laughs> sorry, the events of the story of Exodus, the biblical Exodus, the Israelites leaving Egypt, actually was, uh, called, were, took, around, took around the time where the planet Venus was thrust out by Jupiter, made a pass past the Earth, and then went into its orbit around the Sun. For many, many years, he claimed he knew what the, 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 the atmosphere and the makeup of the planet Jupiter was, and he gave all his details out, and he was mocked. But when they sent a probe in, they actually proved that he was, he was pretty correct. But anyway, he puts forward the system, and what I want to compare with you is the biblical events, together with the historical record of peoples around the world that 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 uh, Dr. Velikovsky recorded, got their recordings and got their writings from, with regards to what took place around the time of the Exodus. I think that there is a very very strong connection between what happened then and in other various places in the uh, in history with what is going to take place to a larger extent during this period of time when the trumpets come. Because I think that we have been visited by either the Wormwood system or something like that. Now, my personal view would tend to be more an incoming planetary system. In the popular media, it's called Nubiru. Uh, but I like to call it Wormwood, the Wormwood system, because that's my, my, my frame of reference, obviously, is the Bible. Now, with my view of holding to a post-tribulation rapture, we need to take special care to note what is going to take place and really be led of the Holy Spirit to be out of harm's way by this point in time. Because now as we go into this period of time, this, this event is the herald to the start of the Great Tribulation. And Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation set up, get out. Head to the hills. 
Now, as horrible as these events might seem, humanity is going to survive. How do I know this? Well, the Bible tells me. Also, if this happened before in history, which I believe it did, we are here now as well. We must really place our life firmly in His hands. Whatever your preparations might be for this event, you need to really be led of the Holy Spirit. Be attuned to what the Lord is going to say. I think much of what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah was one of these events. Please excuse me, that's my dog and I've got rain falling outside as well. But let's get back to Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, there's going to be a lot of angelic help, I feel, I believe, during this period of time. So what I like to do, this incoming comet or this incoming planetary body or this incoming little mini system, whatever people are saying, whatever it is, I like to call it Wormwood or the Wormwood system. Other people call it Nubiru. Um, all the names have slipped my mind now. Gabriel's Fist, all that kind of stuff. So whatever you want to call it, I'm going to be calling it the Wormwood system here. Now, what I'm going to do is look at the effects based on Dr. Velikovsky's work linking scripture with ancient writings and what he understood about the interplay between planetary bodies and the phenomena that took place. The scripture I want to read to you is Joshua chapter 10 verse 1 to 15. I'm going to be reading out of the Amplified Version. And apparently this would have taken place uh, 1587 BC according to Dr. Velikovsky. So let's read the passage of scripture. When Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and the residents of Gibbon had made peace with Israel and were living among them. He and his people feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai. And all its men were mighty. Now, when we get into the out of the Bible study phase, I'm going to be looking at these mighty men, and we're going to have a bit of fun with that with regards to the Nephilim and what the what what Joshua had to do over here. So that's interesting there. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent word to Hoham, uh, king of Hebron, and to Piram, king of Jarmath, and Japha, king of Lashesh, and to Debar king of Eglon, and saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us attack Gibeon, Gibbon with a combined army, because it has made peace with Joshua and with the sons of the people of Israel. Verse 5. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lashish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up they with all their armies, and they camped by Gibeon and fought against it. So the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. 
For all five of the kings of the Amorites who live in the hill country have assembled against us. Verse 7. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the men of valor. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, because I have given them into your hand. Not one of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came up upon them suddenly, surprising them, by marching uphill all night from Gilgal. And the Lord caused them to panic and a great confusion before and, and be confused before Israel. And he struck them dead in a great slaughter at Gibeon, and chased them along the way that goes up to Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Azekai and Madakai. As they fled before Israel, while they were at the desert of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones of hail from heaven on them as far as Azekai, and they died. More Amorites died because of the hailstones than because of those whom the sons of Israel killed with a sword. Verse 12. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord on the day when the Lord handed over the Amorites to the sons of Israel. And Joshua said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Agilon. Verse 13. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation of Israel took vengeance upon their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the middle of the sky and was in no hurry to go down for the whole for about the whole day. There has not been a day like that before it or after it when the Lord listened to heeded the voice of a man for the Lord was fighting for Israel. And then Joshua and all of Israel with him returned to the camp of Gilgal. Verse 13, I just want to read two things again. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. All right. And then the latter half of verse 13. So the sun stood still in the middle of the sky to midday. So the earth stopped rotating because the sun is always moving and the earth is always moving around the sun and the earth is always rotating on its axis and was in no hurry to go down for about a whole day. So you have an elongated day. Just think about now the effect of the rotation of the earth stopping. What do you got to think about? One, what stopped the rotation of the earth for a day? Two, what happened to the oceans when the earth stopped? Three, what happened to the atmosphere? Remember, the air is like an ocean. What happened to the atmosphere? Four, what happened to the internal parts of the earth as they continued, the magma and all of that stuff, continued to rotate when the earth suddenly stopped? What happened to the crust of the earth? So you got that movement in the crust taking place there with the inside still turning or whatever. And, and, and so you got all that catastrophe taking place for a day. 
So what are the effects? In scripture, the Bible says, hail fire mixed with blood. So we, we enter into the atmosphere of a close encounter with a planetary body, a small planetary body. This is going to have an effect on the rotation of the earth. And the it's also going to have an effect on the planet within itself, on the oceans, and on the atmosphere. So we've got a red world because we, we get hit by this gaseous table, uh, tail of the planet. And the dust from the planet, from the tail, the dust from the burning, the dust from the, the earth, probably, probably gets mixed up with whatever's in the tail of the comet and starts to go red that fine dusk, dust, and that starts to go into, onto the planet, onto the people, causing sores and all kinds of stuff on their body. That goes into the ocean and the waterways, taking oxygen out of the water and starting a great death of what takes place in the, in the water of, of sea life. Now, Dr. Velikovsky quotes a few manuscripts from ancient times, one from, uh, please forgive me for the names, pronunciation, Quique, uh, Q-U-I-C-H-E, of the Mayas. This is what it says. It tells us that in the Western Hemisphere, in the days of a great cataclysm, when the earth quaked and the sun's motion was interrupted, the water in the rivers turned to blood. We go to Egypt, we have eyewitnesses there. Ipuwa wrote in his manuscript and, and, and he wrote various different things. The river is blood, plague throughout the land, blood is everywhere, the river stank, men shrink from tasting, human beings thirst after water. That is our water, that is our happiness. What shall we do in respect of thereof? All is ruined. This is what he was writing in his manuscripts. And so the dusk, the, the, the dust coming down on the skins of, of, of the animals, coming down on the skins of people, became caused irritation, eyes, skin. So you've got boils, you've got sickness, you've got death. And so this was a great lament. Um taking place wild animals going crazy because of what is taking place coming closer to the villages um, that interaction there um, all these things basically begin to take place and are recorded by people way back then now when we begin to now step into the realm of mythology myths it's quite interesting to think about it. Where do these myths come from? Now, obviously, the enemy, the devil, creates all these mythologies, basically, which from my perspective seem to be stories of the Genesis 6, Nephilim, and all their goings-on, what takes place. So it's their little fantasy stories about themselves during the planet and on the earth. But oftentimes... These stories 
show us something about what could possibly happen in light of Scripture. So, the summit of the mountainous Thrace gets its name Hermaeus. Uh, because of the streams of blood that gush down the mountain. Have you ever thought of the battle between, in, in, in mythology now, of, of Zeus and Typhon? Okay, and how Typhon was struck by a thunderbolt. You know that lightnings, lightnings taking place? Um, so mythology sort of personalizes this catastrophe when the world turns red. In one Egyptian myth, the hue of the world is described as the blood of Osiris, the, you know, the, the mortally wounded planet god. Another myth is the blood of Seth or Apopi uh, or whatever it's called, A-P-O-P-I. There was a Babylonian myth that the world was colored red by the blood from the slain Timat, the heavenly monster. What would that heavenly monster be? It would be that, according to Velikovsky, Venus going through, past the earth. In light of all of this, listen to what the Bible says. Exodus chapter 7, verse 20 to 24. So Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. Aaron lifted up the staff and struck the waters in the Nile, in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the Nile was turned into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river became foul-smelling, and the Egyptians could not drink its water. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts and enchantments. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Then Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this divine sign to heart. So all the Egyptians dug near the river for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the Nile. Interesting, you connect that with the story, the Egyptian story of Epua, that I, that I quoted some of his writings from, that I got from Velikovsky. Uh, the Finnish uh, writings of Kalevela, they described the day of cosmic upheaval and the world was sprinkled with red milk. The Altar Tartars talk of a catastrophe when the blood turn, turns the whole world red and a world conflagration follows. The Orphic hymns talk about a heavenly vault, mighty Olympus trembled fearfully and the earth around it shrieked fearfully. And the sea was stirred, heaped, and troubled with its purple waves. So imagine, remember what I said, when the earth stops, what happens to the water? Well, the water keeps on turning. But it becomes one massive, giant earthquake. Uh, not earthquake. Not earthquake, a tsunami. Okay, let's look at the hail of stones. So now... As we go deeper into the tale, so the earth is turning red, um, the waters are just getting hammered. Now we go deeper into the tale and we start to get hit by larger and larger 
um, rock particles from the comet. So following the red dust, small dust, ashes, now we start getting hit by the, the, the meteors. In Exodus chapter 9 verse 8 amplified version, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the brick kiln and let Moses throw it towards the sky in sight of Pharaoh. So the dust is the forerunner of the gravel. Exodus 9, 18 to 19. Hear this. Tomorrow about this time I will send a very heavy and dreadful hail such as has not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Nor, now therefore send a message. Bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and animal that is in the field and is not brought home shall be struck by hail and shall die. Hail, remember I told you Old Testament word barad. In most places in scripture, it is a term for meteorites. We've also got information from uh, Midrash and Talmudic sources that the stones which fell on Egypt were hot. And that fits in with the uh, picture of a meteorite entering into the atmosphere and heating up. Not a hard ice ball. In the book of Joshua, it said that great stones fell from the sky. They are often referred to as sun, stones of Barad. Uh, in Egypt, the ancient Egypt word for hail is ar, ar. Now, it applies to a driving shower. It applies to sand, of, of sand and stone. So, driving shower of sand and stone. They've tied this into their Egyptian myth where there is a contest between Horus and Set. So Isis is described as send, ascending upon the, the, the ladder a hail of sand. Exodus chapter 9, 22 to 24. So we've got this, this hail of stones mingled with fire. Now the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand with your staff toward the sky so that there may be Hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and on animal and on all the vegetation of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky and the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning fireballs, ran down to the earth and along the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and lightning fireballs flashing intermittently in the midst of the extremely heavy hail such as has not been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Interesting here where the Lord says, go fetch your cattle, bring them in and get everybody inside. So when we see these things coming, you know, we, we, need, to, we need to be aware of the events that take place in this kind of situation and be prepared for it. So the meteorites are coming in creating these sonic booms in the atmosphere and then when they impact upon the planet they're exploding and so you're getting the explosive noise and the concussion taking place and uh, in this case they were so mighty and so bad and so fearsome that the people in the palace were terrified 
by that much noise that was that was raining down upon Egypt at that point in time. Uh, Exodus 9.28 Pray and entreat the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay here no longer. So that's what that fear led to with regards to Pharaoh. So the Egyptian writer Epura writes this, Trees are destroyed, no fruit, no herbs are found. Grain has perished on every side. That has perished which yesterday was seen. The land is left to its weariness like the cutting of flax. In one day, fields were turned to wasteland. Exodus 9.25 The hail struck down everything that was in the field throughout all the land of Egypt, both man and animal. The hail struck and beat down all the plants in the field and shattered every tree in the field. So what you've got to remember is that when, when, when the, the part of the earth, the, the third of the earth that goes in and rotates into this, it's going to get flattened. So you can get Hollywood pictures of, um, like I'm thinking of the um, First World War, Second World War, pictures from Hollywood, the movies, where these bombardments would come in and just there, there would be nothing left standing of a forest after a bombardment. Now, think about this on the scale of one-third of the planet. One-third of the vegetation in that area, one-third of the trees. It's going to be flattened. It's going to be a wasteland. All that's going to be existing is smoke, dust, suit fire after this of after after the earth rotates in and through and then on top of that we now then begin the great tribulation the mexican annuals of and i can't pronounce the name cutatilan c u a u h t i t l a n says this he describes the 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 the, the, the cosmic catastrophe Accompanied by hail, he in the in the oral traditions of the Indian the Indians this is repeated as well time and again that the 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 sky rained not water but fire and red hot stones not too different from the Hebrew tradition. So let's look at the fire naphtha. So petroleum is comprised of two elements carbon and hydrogen. Now, generally speaking, the main theory, and I'm getting this from Anton Velikovsky, all right? So the main theory of uh, the origin of petroleum, you've got two. You've got the inorganic theory. Hydrogen and carbon were brought together in the, four, in, in the rock formations of the earth under great pressure. And then you have the organic theory. That hydrogen and carbon were composed. Petroleum came from the remains of plant and animal life in the main from microscopic marine and swamp life. So the organic theory implies that the process started after life was already abundant at the bottom of the ocean. Now let me quote something to you from 
Plutarch lives and it's been translated by B. Perrin in 1919, The Life of Alexander, page 25. Even before Plutarch, the problem of the origin of petroleum was discussed. Speaking of the visit of Alexander to the petroleum sources of Iraq, Pulchard said, There has been much discussion about the origin of this naphtha. But in the, extent, in the extended text of, of, of what he was writing, a sentence containing one or two rival views is missing. So the, the remaining text reads this, or whether rather the liquid substance that feeds the flames flows out of the soil which is rich and productive of fire. The tales of the comet, of a comet, comets, composed mainly of carbon and hydrogen gases. There's no oxygen, so they can't burn while they're in flight. There's no inflammable gas. But once they come through the atmosphere that contains oxygen, that begins to get set on fire. So the carbon and hydrogen gases, or the vapor, of these elements, when they enter the atmosphere in a huge mass, part of that mass is going to burn. Binding, you know, it binds the oxygen elements available and, 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 and it burns. And the rest that escapes the burning, the combustion, becomes liquid. This falls into the ground and then begins to sink into the ground and, and, and goes into the clefts between the rocks, falls on the water, floats on the water. If there's fire it, in the air, you know, it, it's, it's going to create a whole lot of problems with burning on the air, sucking in the oxygen. So this, 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 this descent of this sticky fluid to the earth, some of it burning, some of it not, combining with heavy, heavy smoke, you find this actually re recorded in both the oral and written traditions of people in both hemispheres during this period of time. So I'm going to give you a couple of these here. Very fascinating. So in the Mayas, Popul Vu, the sacred book of the Mayas, it says this, it was ruin and destruction. The sea was piled up. It was great inundation. People were drowned in a sticky substance raining from the sky. The face of the earth grew dark and the gloomy rain endured days and nights. And then there was a great din of fire above their heads. The entire population of the land was annihilated. Going back to Quickie, the manuscript of Quickie, Q-U-I-C-H-E. Uh, he, in Mexico, he puts forward this um, population being destroyed by this downpour of this uh, sticky substance. There descended from the sky a rain of bitumen and of a sticky substance. The earth was obscured and it rained day and night. And men ran hither and thither and were as if seized by madness. They tried to climb to the roofs, and the houses crashed down. They tried to climb the trees, and the trees cast them far away. 
and when they tried to escape in the caves and caverns, they were suddenly closed. The annuals of Cucatinalan, uh, C-U-A-U-H-T-I-T-L-A-N, uh, the sun of fire reigned. You know, so the age which ended in the reign of fire, it says, the sun of fire reigned. Serbia, the Vogels, they carried a tradition down. God sent a sea of fire upon the earth. The cause of the fire they called fire water. In the East Indies, amongst the Aboriginal tribes, uh, single dust or water of fire rained from the sky, and with few exceptions, all men died. The eighth plague is described in the book of Exodus, Barad, meteors, and fire mingled with these meteors is really bad. And uh, there was none like it, the Bible says, in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation, Exodus 9.24. Thunder, loud noises, were connected with the Barad, with the, with the meteorites, and fire that ran along the ground. So the stuff fell to the earth and basically ignited in rivers running along the ground. Exodus 9.23. Let's read that. <laughs> That's my dog stretching. Uh, Exodus 9.23-24 to 24 Amplified. Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky and the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning fireballs ran down to the earth and along the ground and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and lightning fireballs flashing intermittently in the midst of the extremely heavy hail, such as had not been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Ipua, the Egyptian writer, on, in his papyrus, says this, Gates, columns, and walls are consumed by fire. The sky is in confusion. And then he goes on to write that basically that, that, that fire nearly exterminated the whole of mankind. In the Midrash, you've got a number of texts that states that naphtha together with hot stones poured down on Egypt. So naphtha is petroleum in Aramaic and Hebrew. So the population of Egypt was pursued with strange rains and hail and shower of inexplicity and utterly consumable, consumed with fire. From what was the most incredible of all is how this naphtha petroleum basically got into the waters as well. I want to read Psalm 105 Amplified Version. I read the whole th- uh, I read selective passages of verses out of there out of out of Psalm 105. In verse 7 the Lord says, "He is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth." You notice that all the earth. So this the whole earth gets hammered by the judgments of God. Notice back the trumpets signify the judgments. My opinion in terms of the seals is the Lord Jesus Christ allowing mankind to run right himself. Whereas the judgment of God is heralded by the trumpets. Now in Psalm 105 it says his judgments are in all the earth. Verse 25. He turned the heart of the Egyptians to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They exhibited his wondrous signs among them, 
great miracles in the land of Ham, Egypt. Verse 28. He sent thick oppressive darkness and made the land dark, and Moses and Aaron did not rebel against his words. Verse 29. He turned Egypt's waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Verse 30. Now, just, just think about this now. The results of this effect on insect life. We know the plant life, one third of it is going to get really battered down. A lot of, it, a lot of the animals are going to get killed. But what about the fleas, the flies, the lice, the crawling things, the frogs? Well, verse 30, the land swarmed with frogs. Why? They came out of the water. The water's turned red. The water's full of naphtha. The water's full of chemicals. The water's full of dust. Even in the chambers of their kings, 31, he spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats in all their territory. He gave them hail for rain with flaming fire in their land. He struck their vines, also their fig trees, and shattered the ice-laden trees of their territory. Verse 34, he spoke, and the migratory locusts came, and the young locusts, even without number, and ate up all the vegetation in their land, and devoured the fruit on their ground. He also struck down all the firstborn in the land. Verse 36, the fruits, the first fruits, and chief substance of all their strength. He brought the sons of Israel out of Egypt with silver and gold. Among them, their tribes, there was not one who stumbled. 38. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the dread and fear of them had fallen on the Egyptians. The Lord spread a cloud as a covering by day and a fire to illuminate the night. In the Passover Haggadah, it says this, Mighty men of Pul and Lud, Lydia in Asia Minor, were destroyed with consuming conflagration on the Passover. Interesting. So in Euphrates, the Babylonians often refers to the, the rain of fire. It's like it's vivid in their memory. Now, this is an interesting thing to pay attention to and take note of. All the countries who have a tradition of fire rain, have oil deposits in their countries. I'm just saying, think about it. Mexico, the East Indies, Serbia, Iraq, Egypt, Middle East. They seem to have a tradition. Uh, that when the tradition of fire rain, there seems to be oil deposits. Just an interesting thing for you to tuck away into your head. Right, let's move on. Let's talk about the collapse of the sky. Revelation 6.14 The sky was split, separated from the land, and rolled up like a scroll, and every mountain and island was dislodged and moved out of their places. Isaiah 24.4 Amplified Version Verse 4 The earth dries up and crumbles away. The world dries out and crumbles away. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. Joel 2 1 to 4, Amplified. Blow the trumpet in Zion, warning of impending judgment. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain Zion. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble and shudder in fear, for the judgment day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. Verse 2, A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and of thick dark mist, 
like the dawn spread over the mountains. There is a pagan hostile people, numerous and mighty, the like of which has never been seen before nor will ever again will be ever again afterwards, even for years of many generations. Verse 3. Before them a fire devours, and behind them a flame burns. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, but behind them a desert desolate wasteness, wilderness, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and they run like wild horses. And that talks to the, the last three trumpets being blown. Psalm 68, 8. The earth trembled. The heavens also poured down rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself trembled in the presence of God, the God of Israel. So I'll talk about the results of the earthquake, earth shock, possible pole shift magnetic reversal later on. So with the rain of meteorites, so we've got the dust, we've got the rain of meteorites, we've got fire falling from the heavens, third of the planet being hit, dust's been thrown up in the atmosphere, starting to go dark, uh, and you know, and, and it, so it looks as if the sky is basically coming down, collapsing. So in the ancient peoples of Mexico, they refer to the world age that came to an end when the sky collapsed and darkness enshrouded the earth. Strabo, uh, son of Lagos, Poltimaeus, now he's a general of Alexandria and founded the dynasty in Egypt. Um they said that Seti, who lived on the shores of the Adriatic, was asked by Alexandra what he feared most. And he replied that he feared no one, but only that the sky might collapse. So where does this sort of myth, the sky is falling, where does this seem to come from? Well, I put it to you that it might come from here. Chinese refer to the collapse of the sky, which took place when the mountains fell. So because the mountains fell or were leveled at the same time and the sky disappeared, what would it look like to ancient peoples? Not only the Chinese. They, 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 they also thought that the mountains were supported the sky. Listen to the song of Deborah. Judges 5, 4 to 5, amplified. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth quaked. The heavens also dripped. Yes, the clouds dripped water. The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord. Yes, the Sinai at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. Psalm 68 verse 8. The earth trembled. The heavens also poured down rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself trembled. At the, very, at, at the presence of God, the God of Israel. The tribes of Samoa in their legends talk about a catastrophe in the days of the old, the heavens fell down. So the heavens or the clouds became so low that the people could not stand erect without touching them. That's their legends. The Finns, Kalevala, they talk about the support of the sky gave way and then a spark of fire was kindled and a new sun and a new earth. Laps, the lap, the, 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 from Lapland, they make an offering accompanied by a prayer that the sky should not lose its support and fall down. 
Eskimos of Greenland are afraid that the sky might fail and fall down and kill all human beings. A darkening of the sun, a darkening of the moon precedes the catastrophe. In Africa, the primitive tribes in the eastern as well as the western parts of the continent tell of the collapse of the sky. The Oravera tribesmen talk about the great of the sky, let the, yeah, the, the great of the sky, Eruru, E-Y-U-R-U, let the sky fall on the earth and almost kill, it killed almost all the people with very few remaining alive. The tribes of Kanga and Langa have a tradition of the collapse of the sky, which annihilates the human race. The Wayoro or the Euro also have a story where the sky fell down and killed everybody, the god Kagra, threw the firmament upon the earth and destroyed mankind. The traditions of the Kashinu, the Aboriginal tribes of Western Brazil, have a story, and he has a, the, the, a, a narrated, narrated story from them. The lightnings flashed and the thunders roared terribly and were all afraid. Then the heavens burst and the fragments fell down and killed everybody, everything and everybody. Heaven and earth changed places. Nothing that had life was left upon the earth. So that talks to the collapsed sky and what that would look like. Oh, let's move on. Let's talk about the electrical storm. Okay, so static electricity is going to really build up in the atmosphere and it's going to be discharging everywhere on the earth. And there's also a possibility that there will be electronic discharges between the Earth and the retreating Wormwood system. This could possibly have led to some of the stories that we'll discuss with regards to the lightning and, and, and why all the uh, gods of legends have thunderbolts. Let's look at a couple of these scriptures in the book of Psalms. And I'm going to be reading a lot of scriptures now. Psalm 18, Amplified Version, verse 7. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the mountains trembled. They were shaken because he was indignant and angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also, uh, he bowed the heavens also and came down. And thick darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub, a storm, and flew. And he fled on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, covering his pavilion canopy around him, the darkness of the waters, the thick clouds of the skies. Out of the brightness before him passed his thick clouds, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them. He sent an abundance of lightning flashes and confused and routed them in defeat. Then the stream beds of the waters appeared and the fountains of the world were laid bare. At your rebu rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of your breath of your nostrils. Very interesting description of a close encounter with a planetary body going through it with the darkness, the fire, the, the stones, the uh, trembling, the earthquakes, the earth shakes, the water disappearing, new rivers appearing, etc., etc. Psalm 23, ascribe to the Lord, O sons 
of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due to his, uh, due his name. Worship the Lord in beauty and majesty of his holiness as the creator and source of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian, Mount Hermon, like a young wild ox. Let's think about that. So he's talking about a mountain skipping, rolling, jumping. The voice of the Lord <clears throat> excuse me, rakes flames of fire lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the doe labor and give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, all are saying, Glory, the Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give unyielding and impenetrable strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Another interesting description out of the poetic books of the Bible. Psalm 46 God is our refuge and strength, mighty and impenetrable, a very present and well-provided help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, what are we not going to fear? Well, here it is. Therefore, verse 2, we will not fear. Though the earth should change. How's the earth going to change? It's going to change geologically when this thing passes by us. Water's going to be moving. Water's going to be burning. Earth's going to be shaking. Earth's going to be splitting. Um, pulse shift, magnetic reverse. We don't, but we mustn't fear. Next, though the mountains be shaken and slip into the heart of the seas, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its roaring, Sila. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her city, his city. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning draws. The nations made an uproar. The kings toted and were moved. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is, said, is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, our refuge, our high tower, Selah. Come behold the work of the Lord. Who brought desolation and wonders on the earth. He makes war to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow into pieces and snaps the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. But still and know, recognize, understand that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our strength, our refuge, our high tower. Selah couple of verses out of Psalm 68, verses 8 to 9. The earth trembled. The heavens also poured down rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself trembled at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O God, sent abroad plentiful rain. You confirm your inheritance when it was parched and weary. Interesting to note uh, when you look at the legends of the gods in mythology who discharge electricity um, 
I'm just saying, could there be a link to these events that we're talking about here? For example, the Greeks have the Zeus, Odin in the, uh, for the Icelanders, Uko, UKKO for the Finns, Purin for the Russian pagans, Wotan or, or, or Woden, the Germans, Mazda, the Persians, Marduk, the Babylonians, Shiva of the Hindus is pictured with lightning in, in his hands and described as the god who threw his lightning bolt at the world and overwhelmed the world with fire and water and rain. Now, the Old Testament prophets seem to understand that the, that, that the miracles of Egypt, what happened around this period of time in Egypt with Moses, Aaron, uh, Joshua, and the children of Israel, and the Egyptians and the, the nations around about that time, they, they say that these events are, would, would be repeated in the future. So let's go through a couple of these passages of Scripture. I've got quite a lot, lot of Scripture readings. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Amos, etc. So let's just start and we'll, there's going to be a lot of Scriptural reading here. Isaiah 10, 22 to 25. For though your people, O Israel, may be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will remain, a remnant within them will remain. The destruction is determined, it is, it is decided and destined for completion, overflowing with justice, righteous punishment. For the Lord, the God of hosts, will execute a complete destruction, one that is decreed in the midst of all the land. Therefore the Lord God of hosts say, says this, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian who strikes you with a rod and lifts up his staff against you, as the king of Egypt did, for yet a very little while, and my indignation against you will be fulfilled, and my anger will be directed towards the destruction of the Assyrian. Very interesting link here, and when we talk about, talk about the Antichrist and we study the Antichrist, we'll see one of his titles is the Assyrian. So there's a link between the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and the Assyrian, who is the Antichrist. And so you've got this similarity here in Isaiah 10. Let's move on. Isaiah 11, 12 to 16. And he will lift up a signal for the nations and assemble the outcasts of Israel. And will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Then the jealousy of Ephraim will depart, and those who harass Judah will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, and Judah will not harass Ephraim. Ephraim and Judah will unite and swoop down on the slopes of the Philistines towards the west. Together they will plunder the sons, Arabs, of the east. They will possess Edom and Moab, and the sons of Ammon will be subject to them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt." And with his scorching wind, he will wave his hand over the river. He will strike and divide it into seven seven channels and make it possible for people to walk over in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant of his people who will will be left, just as was for Israel in the day when they came up out of the land of Egypt. Very, very interesting and fascinating passage of scripture. Isaiah 30, 30. And the Lord will make his majestic voice heard and show the descending 
of his arm striking in his fierce anger and in the flame of a devouring fire in the crashing sound of heavy rain, cloudbursts and hailstones. All pictures of these trumpets. Jeremiah 16, 14-15 Therefore behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but, in verse 15, as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries to which he has driven them, and I will bring them back to the land which I have given their fathers. Jeremiah 23, 7-8 Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children out of the land of Egypt. So that's a very similar repeated passage. Verse 8, but will say, as the Lord lives, who brought them and led them back the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries to which I have driven them. They will live in their own land. Ezekiel 38, 22. With pestilence and with bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with Gog, and I will rain on him torrents of rain with great hailstones, fire and brimstone on his hordes and on the many nations that are with him. Micah 7, 15. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show you marvelous and miraculous things. Amos, when he writes, he uses God's work of the deliverance of the people of Israel from the Egyptian hands as a reference point for how he is going to deal with his people in the future. So let's read a couple of these passages here. The prophet uh, Amos 2 verse 10 amplified. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and I led you 40 years through the wilderness, that you might possess the land of the Amorite. Verse, chapter 4 verse 10. I sent a plague among you like those of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and I captured your horses. I made the stench of your camp rise up into your, nost into your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me in repentance, says the Lord. Amos 8, 8 to 9. Because of this coming judgment, will the land not quake, and everyone mourn who dwells in it. Indeed, all of it shall rise up like the Nile, and it will be tossed around from the impact of judgment, and afterwards subside again like the Nile of Egypt. It shall come about in that day, says the Lord God, that I shall cause the sun to go down at noon and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. Very, very interesting description here of the earth rising and subsiding. So it's earthquake taking place. And then obviously something's going to take place with regards to the rotation of the planet. So the sun now suddenly goes down in the middle of the day. So the Earth's rotation basically stops or reverses. Pole shift. So you've got that whole pole shift taking place where suddenly you're one side of the planet, next thing in the daylight, and next thing you're in darkness. <clears throat> Amos chapter 9, 5-7 The Lord God of hosts, the omnipotent ruler, it is he who touches the earth in judgment and it melts, and all who dwell on it in despair and fear. And all of it rises up like the Nile and, subs and, and sub subsides like the Nile of Egypt. It is he who 
builds his upper chambers in the heavens and establishes his vaulted dome, the firmament of heaven, over the earth. He who calls the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth, the Lord is his name. And you, degenerate ones, not as the despised sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel, says the Lord, have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt and Philistines from Cathar and the Armenian Syrians from Kerr? All right, now I'm going to finish off this podcast and we're only dealing with the first trumpet with looking at the earthquake or the earth wobble or the earth shake uh, and the effects of what's going to take place. So what I want you to think about is as the earth goes through the tail of the comet, now we have the hail, the fire, the blood, things turning red, blood, the effects of the on the oceans, the, the meteorite impacts coming through, uh, the electrical discharges taking place on the Earth and possibly between the Earth and the and the and the departing planet or planetoids or whatever they are. Now, the effects on the people, now the effects on the the, the animals, and now the effects on the planet. So, what is pole shift? Uh, pole shift basically is when your poles, north and south poles, shift. Now, an interesting note that I've started to find out about and see is that this this scenario is starting to creep into the news that there's a possible pole shift going to take place. And so um, around the first week of February, I started picking up that kind of a the the notice in the newspapers that pole shift is going to take place. So, a possible scenario is that at the shift, the surface of the Earth will move in just under an hour, and it'll move a quarter turn. So, what happens when this takes place? Okay, so you've got massive earthquakes. Go and have a look at the movie. Uh, 2012 and you'll you'll you just get a picture of it'll, it'll give you a visual picture of the earth splitting the earth being carved up the earth being you know cut by this global earth shock this worldwide earth convulsion in the lithosphere so what is the lithosphere here's the definition the solid part of a celestial body such as the earth, specifically the outer part of the solid earth comprised of rocks, essentially like that exposed at the surface consisting of the crust and the outermost layer of the mantle and usually considered to be about 60 miles or 100 kilometers in sickness. The lithosphere, in other words, is the layer of the planet that makes up the Teutonic plates. The lithosphere is above another layer of mantle called the asthenosphere. Excuse me. With these long scientific names and Hebrew names. Where the rock is at just the right pressure and temperature to flow over time and help move the plates. So now what is taking place is this lithosphere is basically disrupted together with the flow underneath is being disrupted and the, the the shock wave effects well first of all the cities 
are going to get absolutely devastated, absolutely devastated. And um, the, 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 because the earth gets forced out of its regular motion and the, it, the, because of the, the, the re, it's, its reaction to this body that's coming close and there is a major convulsion in the lith lithosphere and, and this covers the entire globe. So let's go back to Velikovsky and the ancient witnesses and the, the, the scripture. So the Egyptian writer Ipua, he survived this earthquake. But he says this, the towns are destroyed. Upper Egypt has become waste. All is ruined. The residence is overturned in a minute. So, it, in one minute, it could only be an earthquake. And, and from the scriptures that I've been reading, it seems like the earth jumps. Because, you know, one passage where we're talking about this, the earth is skipping. So, it's rising up like it did in Egypt and going down again. We have that passage of scripture. So, it seems as if the tenth plague would be this thing from Velikovsky's point of view. So Exodus 12, 30, Pharaoh got up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry of heartache and sorrow in Egypt, for there was no house where there was not someone dead. So the houses that the Egyptians had built in, their, their structures were absolutely destroyed by one seemingly violent convulsion of the earth lifting and dropping. Exodus 12, 27, you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads low and worshipped God. So the Hebrew word smote, struck, is a word that connotates the meaning of a very, very violent blow. For example, when a... Uh, an ox gores you by its horns or through its horns. A very, very violent blow, one blow. The Passover Haggadah says, The firstborn of the Egyptians didst thou crush at midnight. So the angel of death comes, or the shock, this, this earthquake. Now here's my thinking, possibly, of what possibly happened during this earthquake. The reason that the Israelites were better off during this period than the, than the Egyptians lies in what their homes were made of and what their homes were built on. Remember, the, 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 the Hebrews occupied a marshy area and they had clay and straw, huts of clay and reed lot more resilient and movable than the bricks and mortar of the Egyptians. Ipua wrote, Forsooth, the children of princes are dashed against the walls. The children of principles are cast out in the streets. The prison is ruined. Princes in palaces, captives in dungeons, 
These are all victims of the disaster. Now listen to this passage of scripture. Exodus 12, 29. Now it happened at midnight that the Lord struck every firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. So Velikovsky believes that the tenth plague is this earth shock. Um, Artipanus describes the last night before the Exodus, quoted by Eusebius, and he says this, There was a hail and earthquake by night, so that those who fled from the earthquake were killed by the hail, and those who sought shelter from the hail were destroyed by the earthquake. And at, the, and at that time, all the houses fell in and most of the temples. Hermonius or St. Jerome wrote, In the night in which Exodus took place, all the temples of Egypt were destroyed either by, the, by an earth shock or by a thunderbolt. Now, that is what, what I feel would, would happen when the first trumpet gets blown and we move into the tail of the comet and the earth rotates through the tail of the comet. Emerging from this now, so we've got one hemisphere that goes through the tail of the comet and one third of it gets taken out. Coming out of that tail of that comet now, the next third of the air of the Earth's hemisphere faces now the Wormwood system. And this sets us up for the next two trumpets. And I'll discuss the next two trumpets in the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.